All right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. If you could make your way uh, back to your seat, that would be really helpful. Thank you, thank you. Uh, much love, good people. Uh, it's good to see you. Welcome to the first Sunday of Lent. So we are in a season called Lent, and sadly, sadly, Lent was something that I was not uh, familiar with until about 20 years ago, uh, and then uh, I just remember I had heard whispers of it. Uh, I saw some, um, some dirt smudges on people's forehead, and I'm like, oh, I think that's a Catholic thing. Uh, was the thought. Uh, then I learned about Fat Tuesday and the Poonchki and that they somehow find a way of taking a pastry and jamming 10,000 calories into one thing. Um, but there was that and I'm like, oh, I begin to that. And then I began to have more and more people just kind of ask the question, um, so what are you giving up for Lent? And maybe that's kind of all how you're familiar with it is, oh, isn't that something where we give stuff up? And so uh, sinking into it over the years, then I spent some time eschewing uh, coffee. I know one Lent gave up coffee for Lent, alcohol, sweets, like no sugar. Um, I will call it clothes scouting clothes scouting, because it's not just a matter of shopping and buying, it's even just scouting out clothes. So I'm calling it clothes scouting. Welcome to my mind and life. Um, social media, so it was getting rid of social media. I would like to fast from that for the rest of my life uh, in ways. Then um, my favorite. My favorite uh, Lent that I did uh, was practicing atheism for Lent. So I'll explain it. The idea was to give up an intellect-first form of belief in God in order to give more attention to the experiential and to practicing the divine as relationship first. That included fasting from the need to be right about God and arguing intellectual certainty, doctrine, dogma as of first importance. So part of the practices that uh, were included in the, that Lent season for me was reading atheists and listening to what it is that they believe and do not believe. I can say it was one of the most formative practices in seasons of my life, helping me to clarify what it is I truly value, and it expanded my love for and my understanding of the divine, and also helped me approach to reading the Bible in a much deeper way. And as a callback to the last series we were in, it was of much help in helping me live uh, a, a less divided life. It was really quite something. Such is the goal of Lent. Uh, addic addi addition by way of subtraction, if you will. Or the practice of simplicity. 
That is the hope. Which takes us into our new series. We're calling this series 40, The Art of Letting Go. And we want to look deeply into this idea of Lent, this season, and what it's all about. And we're going to then sink into the biblical text, of course. We will begin with Matthew's account of the good news of Jesus and what is commonly known as the temptation in the desert or the testing in the wilderness. It's uh, likely the most common story for kind of in informing the intention of Lent. Uh, Our story begins immediately following, so we we have to do some context, immediately following what is known as the baptism of Jesus, and our story will begin then. It starts with the word then, which means it's alerting us to say what just happened. We should pay attention to that. So the baptism of Jesus into Matthew, then 4, verses 1 through 11. So we're going to look at that. Uh, sink in, study that over the next couple of weeks, but I'd love to just pause, stop, pray, and then off we go. Gracious God, I bless you for the gift of gathering, the gift of um, being together as your body, the church. I bless you, God, for breathing life into us again today. And that we can gather. We have this space. We're grateful uh, for the Three Mile Project that provides space for us to gather, to listen to what you are saying, to wait for that nudge, that whisper, that prodding, that poke, that shaking awake that you might give for us even here now. And I bless you, God, that we can gather together and have uh, this in community. Lean on one another. Challenge one another. Encourage one another as we look to take that next right step with you. God, my prayer is of the psalmist. May the meditation, the posture of my heart now, and the words of my mouth bring honor and glory to you and you alone. We pray this. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, I think. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, ready? The devil is quoting scripture to Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. It's a fascinating story of being tempted, ready, to choose the temporary and sacrifice of the eternal. To choose good things, because what he is tempted with are good things. What is presented as good things, but sacrificing relationship with the divine in the process. That connection with God. The story has the accuser trying to play the if-then game with Jesus. If you do this, then you can have this. And even doing quote wars with the Bible, with Jesus, which should be a hint to us that the point has always been what's behind the text, not simply quoting to an arguments. What is underneath it? What's the heart? What's the intent? So now, before we sink more deeply into the context of the wider narrative of the biblical library, we're going to start with a simple observation from the surrounding context of the story that leads up to this point. In the previous chapter, uh, we are introduced to a guy known as John the Baptizer, who is actually Jesus' cousin. Jesus goes out from the region of Galilee in Israel to the Jordan River and is baptized by John. As Jesus comes up out of the water, we are given a scene where the voice of the divine is speaking his love over Jesus. He said, here is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. At this point in Matthew's account, Jesus has not performed any miracles he has not offered any teachings, and he has not done anything that would prove him to be divine. Yet the scene is clear. The divine pronounces his love for Jesus. We essentially have a parent's love for their child, period. No contingencies of if-then transactions, love period. You are my son and I love you. Are you with me? When we move then to the next scene, it's in the desert for our story, where it is common for 21st century Americans to initially read and materialize this story in a very ethereal way, replete with flying angels and a magical devil. Pastor and author Brian Zahn helps dissuade us from such a reading. He says this, But how did the devil come to Jesus? Did he come wearing a red suit, sporting horns, and a forked tail, carrying a pitchfork? Did he say, Hi, I'm the devil. I'm here to tempt you. Shall we begin? Of course not. The devil came to Jesus the same way the devil comes to us, disguised as our own thoughts. Ooh. The purpose of this scene is the very opposite of some sort of ethereal Harry Potter world. The tempter is called by two words in this story, in this text. One is Greek, and one is in Hebrew. Devil in the Greek, next slide, is diablos. 
Satan is from the Hebrew word ha-satan. Both of them mean false accuser, slanderer, and adversary to tov, to good, to that which is becoming, maturing, growing in its goodness. And this character is an adversary to that, is an accuser of falsehood. The adversary, which is how it would be, is tempting Jesus to prove himself worthy, to use power for his own gain, to act absent from acknowledgement and interest of God. These temptations set out to have Jesus believe God's love is not enough. Or said differently, don't trust that the divine loves you as you are. You need to become more or accomplish more or do things. Or, as said by our friend and scholar N.T. Wright, these suggestions are all ways of distorting the true vocation. The vocation to be a truly human being, to be God's person, to be a servant to the world and to other people. I really appreciated the 2015 movie, Last Days in the Desert, which is about this story. Jesus is 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. I found the depiction of the tension and challenge found within these temptations is really helpful for us today. The actor Ewan McGregor plays the role of Jesus and the accuser. You might recognize Ewan McGregor as the young version of the Jedi Knight Obi-Wan Kenobi. So his resume is, hi, I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi and Jesus and the devil. Quite the resume. In the movie, the accuser is first a voice that you hear, which is Ewan McGregor's voice. Then the voice appears as Ewan McGregor, the devil, who will confront and test Ewan McGregor, the Jesus. Next slide. So this is a picture from uh, a scene in this where they're facing off in this back and forth. And I just find this really helpful to get at how we might experience this. This internal dialogue. For many of us, the sound a lot like our own that we might hear. So we wrestle with whose voice is this? Is this of the divine or is this of the devil. This can be helpful for us understanding how Jesus is simply tempted in the same ways we are tempted. It's not ethereal. It's not something out there. He's tempted in the same ways we are. To believe we are not who the divine has already and forever pronounced us to be. For us to believe that we are not loved as a child of the divine, rather thinking we need to perform and produce in order to earn, win, or gain love. The accuser wants us to wrestle with questions that have already been answered. It's very clever. 
It's been successful for a long time. How many of us have stumbled over these questions? Who am I? Where do I belong? What do I have to do to be loved? The movement from Jesus' baptism to his testing in the desert provides us with clear and powerful answers. Next slide. Who am I? I'm a child of the divine. Where do I belong always and forever with the divine? What do I have to do to be loved? Nothing. Divine love is a gift. It's grace. You have it. Will you receive it and live into it is the question. It is yours. In trusting this truth, we can simply, like Jesus, and powerfully say, away from me, liar. Be gone. The author of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus walked as we walk and faced what we face. Next slide. For Jesus is not some high priest who has no sympathy for our weaknesses and flaws. He has already been tested in every way that we are tested, but he emerged victorious without failing God. This story is pleading with us to know that success, power, and overcoming is not found by escaping our humanity, but in trusting how the divine moves within and through our humanity. Are you with me? I don't want to leave this and to dig into the much broader context if we're fuzzy on this. Are, are you here with it? Jesus tempted as we are, showing us a way forward, not in some ethereal, abstract, out there way, but just as we are. Now, some key words in the text that will send us into context. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness or desert. Key words. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the accuser begins the first two suggestions with, if you are the Son of God. All of this echoes the Exodus story, where Moses leads the Hebrew people, known as God's firstborn son in the Hebrew scriptures, out of slavery in Egypt. So this is all echoing in the Torah, Deuteronomy. Next slide. Deuteronomy 8, 1 and 2. Be careful to follow, and this is to the Hebrew people. Moses letting them know, this is what God says. Be, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way where? In the wilderness, these how many? 40 years. Why? Why? To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. What's really important for us to grasp is that getting out of Egypt was only part of the story. Because the years they spend in the desert are about getting the Egypt out of the people. 
the journey they take from getting out of Egypt and going in the wilderness and getting to the promised land would take 11 days walking. 40 years is what the text says that they wandered or walked around in the desert because it was, you're not ready. You might be out of Egypt, but the Egypt is not out of you. Before they could occupy a land of their own, God needed to know whether or not they would steward and live from a place of humility, hospitality, and generosity. Because if not, then they might become that which they once despised. I would say it like this. We may physically be out of slavery, but our ways in the world can still replicate the spirit of slavery. If we don't get it out of us. The desert then was for creating a rhythm of life now that would set patterns for a way of life later. This is difficult, and if you can learn a rhythm of life with God now, here in the desert, then, when you have a home of your own, then when you have a family, then when you have abundance, enough, how then will you be? Or stated in verse 3 of Deuteronomy 8, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Our desert story is calling the people, remember your ancestors' story. That necessity does not begin with the basics of food, but with God as our very being. Remember, it begins with God. Verses 10 of 11 of Deuteronomy. When you have eaten, so here's the thing. Now, when you have eaten or are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to circle that, observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. That word observe in the Hebrew is shamar. Go ahead and say shamar. It means to guard and preserve life. So observe is not stand there and go, hey. It's no. I see how important and crucial this is, so I'm going to guard it, protect it, preserve it, because it is life-giving. It's not rules that, ugh. It's not a law that whacks me, oh, come on. This sets me up for a better, bigger, more full, fulfilled life. Good morning. So crucial. If, if you do not guard against this, then we keep going in the text. When you eat, if you don't preserve this, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud 
and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. If you do not protect this, I know how your heart will turn sideways. Ancient wisdom that has never been more relevant. To practice gratitude when life is easy, smooth, or going as we hope or want, so that when it is not, we don't turn entitled and bitter. This could be also known as the fear of many parents. That their kids will lack gratitude for all that they receive and have. Instead of a heart growing in generosity and hospitality, they would become entitled and expectant that they should always receive the best and the most. I say that because you can ask my wife, before we had our three boys, this was my fear. What if they aren't grateful? What if we, by trying to do well and give them good, they always expect it? What if it still wakes me up some nights? Will they be grateful? Do we have to take things from them? Do we have to... Or will they get it? Hey, guess what? I don't get to control it. Send a button, you push. But it can be a life that we model for them. Because the temptation is that we might take for granted how God has provided what we need. If we do not guard our hearts, we might just elevate a luxury into a necessity. And that can lead to a crusty attitude of expectancy, also known as entitlement. Well, I, I should have this. How dare you think that I don't get this? Whenever I want, however I want. Lent is a season for us to practice the art of letting go. So when we find ourselves in a desert experiencing hunger pains, we will have practice for it. And we'll remember the fidelity of the divine. Ugh, this is difficult. But, I know that you are with me. I am not alone. This does not get the last word. So let's go to a 30,000 foot view of Matthew's good news account of Jesus. Beginning with this narrative... We find examples of Jesus experiencing difficulty or struggle in his life, but through abiding in the divine, his overcoming will lead to flipping the script to a movement of good news for others. And there are moments when Jesus embraces being fully human that can teach us that it is not about escaping our humanity because death does not get the last word. Rather, we trust that the divine is at work in restoring, reconciling, and renewing all things. Ready? This is just a big 30,000-foot view of what Matthew does throughout his gospel. Next slide. Jesus was hungry in our text, but he fed others. 
He did not turn stones into bread for himself in our story, but he is the bread of life for the world. He grew extremely tired, but he gave others rest. Next slide. He was accused of being the devil, but he cast out demons from others. He died a sinner's death that sinners might live. He was sold for the price of one slave, but he gave his life as a ransom for many. He was the Messiah and King, but oh, I'll pay my taxes. What Matthew is telling us is Jesus succeeds in all of the ways that the Hebrew people had failed. Jesus is redeeming and reconciling all things to himself. Jesus embodies sacrificial love, removing any and all barriers so that we might walk with him in the kingdom of heaven beginning right here, right now. In Lent is a season in which we are invited to let go of that which is temporary that we might have elevated to a necessity. We maybe have put too much value on this thing. Now, we have created cards. They were called bookmarks, and then when we got them, I said, what book are we using? Fancy Moses, if you set this on your nightstand, it might tip over. But however, however you want to use this, what we wanted to do is put together practices for each week of the series, but for seven days, so that you can have a practice for each day of uh, this, this week and then each following week for that. Each week of the series, uh, for us to remember our need for the divine and to remind us how quickly and easily we can elevate a luxury into a supposed necessity. Now, we should have enough back on connecting point table. We have enough of these for like one per family, not one per person. We have these newfangled devices where you can take a picture and you could do that and keep it with you. Or we have these old-fashioned things called refrigerators in which you could stick them on that and everyone can see those. So there is a way of doing it. Or maybe Alice can make copies at work tomorrow for you. Um, I don't know how that works. You're all like, who's Alice? <laughs> I don't know. Martha, Brett. I don't know who it is that you... Okay. Now... Some, some of the ways in which it goes. So next slide, we'll give an idea. So this is, now you could number, number them, one through seven. Here's, here's a, just a trick you could do. Number these one through seven. Just put them in a, a hat then, one through seven. And maybe each day you just draw a number out so you surprise yourself. Could be a thing you do. But no food before noon. This would be one day. No carbonated beverages. Three meals. No snacks. No processed food, including sugar. Oof. Actually, fast for a day. Whole day, fast, no food. No coffee. Oh, boy. Choose, and then one is choose one area in your life that has been elevated from a luxury to a necessity. Maybe it's coffee, alcohol, sugar, <laughs> Amazon. Uh, and take it away for 
a day. These are ideas. They're suggestions, and they're, they'll be on here, and just something for you can do and say we can, and then as a community, you can connect with one another. What did you, because if, and if you do numbers, draw it out of a hat, then you could say, hey, what did you draw today? Oh, no coffee? Oh, I was going to ask you out, sorry. Um, but, you know, and it's like, what are you doing? Oh, how is that going? Did that go for others who have to be with you? What does that look like? But it's not, and again, it's not the removal. That's, that's a part. But in that hunger pain, oh, a coffee sounds fantastic right now, pain. A, but I really need that book to come like in a day or two. Need, and you're like, oh, in that pain, oh. I bless you, God, because here I am, and you are good. I can wait. I don't need this. So I bless you, God, for being here and being for us, being with us. So you can pick those up. We can practice this, and then each week you'll be able to, then you can read ahead, and you can look, you can prepare yourself for some ideas coming forth with each week of the series. We'd love to kind of help you do that, is make this as practical as possible in this season of ways to stretch us, to arch our hearts toward the divine, to root ourselves in gratitude, to center ourselves in knowing we are provided for. We are loved right here, right now, as we are. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, I bless you for meeting us here now, loving us as we are, but not wanting to leave us there you invite us to walk with you. Invite us to experience a heart that can expand in gratitude, in grace, in love, in compassion, in mercy, in forgiveness. God, I bless you for meeting our needs and for nudging us and reminding us of what is a luxury what is you know a gift joy fine it's good but reminding us not to elevate it to an idol I bless you God for being here now being with us and loving the old out of us into a new way of being with you in the world. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.